this is the title of the sermon, First Faltering Steps, and we're reading in Genesis 12, uh, from verse 1 to 20. I shall be reading the ESV, and I have no idea what the other versions are, but those of you who speak Ukrainian and Persian perhaps will do. This is the call of Abraham, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went. As the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. With Bethel on the west, and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance. And when the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw the woman was very beautiful. And when the princess of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh, And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house, and for her sake he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her for my wife? Now then, here is your wife. Take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. I do apologize if any of the translation is incorrect in Ukrainian or Persian. I've done my best with Google Translate, and that's all I can do. So, first faltering steps, or maybe it should be called there and back again, or perhaps 
the good and the bad. It's a very two-sided story. Let me tell you, over the years, I've heard many preachers with many styles. And during the last few years of preaching regularly in crew, I've determined to avoid two things, which I don't like in preaching. The first that I always try and avoid is to tell my listeners how my sermon has come about, how it's developed to what it is now. You don't need to hear that. You just need to hear what God gives me to tell you, what I hope God's given me to tell you. The second thing that I try and avoid desperately is talking about myself. You don't need to know what has been happening in my life, what is happening in my life. I'm not the Bible. The Bible is the Bible. God's word is God's word. However, this morning, I'm led to break both of those good intentions for reasons that I hope you will appreciate. And I don't do any of this for my sake, but purely for God's glory. Those of you who were here last week will have heard Lizzie preaching, and you may recall that her sermon passage was Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 9. And you'll have seen that this morning we've got Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 20. Apparently, this overlap was by design. I started my sermon prep a couple of months ago. I only found out last week that the preceding sermon would contain nine verses, which I've been given to preach on. I did most of the preparation for this two weeks ago again, before I heard what Lizzie was speaking on last week. But after listening to Lizzie last week, I did have a chat with her afterwards and thanked her, because it's quite clear to me that where she finished last week is where I'm starting this week, and therefore what God's given me, what I hope God's given me for you this morning, is in my notes here. Two sides to Abraham's character. By the way, Lizzie also said last week that Abraham's name was changed to Abraham. You'll find out about that when we get to chapter 17. And Sarai's name has changed to Sarah. I'm going to call him Abraham and Sarah because that's what I've been calling him all my life. I once met a Muslim in Oxford Street. I'm digressing. I met a Muslim in Oxford Street in London and having heard a wonderful Christian man who's a missionary to Muslims, who loves them dearly, speak about how to interact with them. This Muslim man was, um, had a table with speakers with Islamic music going away and tracts. And I stopped. Actually, I went into the shop I was going to first and prayed and came back and stopped. And I shook this man by the hand. He didn't know me. I didn't know him. I said to him, Abraham is your father by birth. Abraham is my father by adoption. It's quite a nice thought, that. And we had a lovely few minutes talking together. Anyway, that's a digression. Before we look at the passage, I want to tell you a secret. It's one that I only recently told my wife, Barbara. 
It's a secret from 45 years ago. We've been married for 39 years and I never told my wife this secret until just recently. And I'm going to tell you this morning what the secret is. Now, please don't get onto the edge of your seats in eager anticipation because it's nothing that's going to kind of ruin, I hope, my reputation completely. Um, if you're looking for something exciting, you're probably going to be disappointed. My 45-year secret is this. When I was a young Christian at the age of 17 or 18, okay, you can do the sums and figure out that I'm about 89. A, a church leader said to me that he thought that God was going to use me as an evangelist. I kept this to myself. I didn't tell anyone. I hardly even, if ever, prayed about it. And I certainly did not ask close friends to pray for me or to pray with me. This was potentially a prophetic word, a life-changing word, and I did nothing with it. Did the leader, did the church leader speak true? I don't know. If he did speak true, then I may have let God down big time. Or maybe I'm still waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. I don't know. Should I have told trusted friends about what this leader said to me? Should I have asked them to pray for me, to pray with me? I think quite certainly I should have done, but I didn't. I did exactly the wrong thing and, much to my shame, kept it to myself. You might by now be wondering why I'm sharing this story from my past. While there was this bloke called Abraham, God made a promise to Abraham, as we read about just now. God made a couple of specific promises to Abraham. In verse 2, if you would, Roger, please, God said, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless, verse 3, those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then again in verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. And what was Abram's response? It begins in verse 7. So he, Abraham, built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Verse 8. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent. Ah, tents were good enough for Abraham. Maybe they're good enough for church weekends away. Maybe the weather's not so good here. With Bethel on the west and I on the east, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Now, if you know the story of Abraham at all, it's blindingly obvious that Abraham did not see the fulfillment of those, that promise that God made immediately. And he saw only glimpses of that fulfillment in his lifetime. But that's not what I'm thinking about this morning. It's Abraham's response to the promise that I want us to consider today. Abraham marked the promise. He sealed 
the acceptance of the promise made by God by setting up reminders. He built altars, not just one, but at least two. One at the Oak of Morah at Shechem and the other at the hill country on the east of Bethel. He built altars. We don't need altars today. Altars originally were places where people brought their blood sacrifices to God. When I was in a very strong evangelical church down in the southwest many years ago, the rector in the church said, that is a table, it is not an altar. And some people in the Church of England call them an altar. They're not their tables. An altar is for a blood sacrifice. In churches which have those tables, there is no blood sacrifice made on it. There is a table where the elements, the bread, the wine, are placed upon. The New Testament clearly teaches us that Jesus is now our all-sufficient, once-for-all sacrifice, whose blood brings us forgiveness, perfect, complete, restorative forgiveness for all sin. Bear that in mind, because that's absolutely key. But altars also represented a place of consecration to the Lord. So Abraham has taken the promise of God, he set up these altars, no doubt sacrifices were made on the altars, because that was the practice then, and no doubt he consecrated himself to God. He vowed to receive not only the promise, but the fulfillment that God had made to him. But when I first read this passage a couple of months ago, something else leapt out at me. An altar is a significant marker of a location or event. You see, in the church history, we we build the building and we put the table or the altar or whatever you want to call it inside the building. And if you go to a synagogue, there's a building and inside the synagogue there'll be an altar. Abraham just built the altars out in the open. A table of stone, nice and simple. People pass by. What's that altar doing there? Why is that altar there? It's not in a... Why is that altar there? It was a reminder for Abraham every time he looked at that direction. It was a reminder for other people who will have heard this story of the promise that God made to him. Had he imagined that God had spoken so clearly to him Surely not, or he wouldn't have gone to the effort of building these big, heavy stone altars. Not dainty wood, I suspect. Every time he or others would see the altar, he and they would be reminded of that specific promise from God. Last week, when I found out that Lizzie was preaching on the first nine verses of today's passage, I was desperately hopeful that she would speak in a completely different way from what I'd done. And she did. Thank you, God. And thank you, Lizzie. And what's more, last week, Lizzie finished at the point that I am starting at today. So thank you again, Lord. Could you actually, Roger, pull up the penultimate slide um, with the black text on? These are 
two of the questions that Lizzie put up on the screen last week. What is God speaking to you about? What do I need to do about it? And that's just about where you finished off last week, isn't it, Lizzie? And that's just about where I wanted, to, where I, months ago, I planned to start today. So I think God's in this. And so back to me, 45 years ago, failing. My message is simply this. When we hear, or think we hear, God speaking to us, perhaps like Abraham, we should mark these points in our lives. I am not suggesting that we set up an altar, far from it, but we should perhaps mark the times when God is speaking to us with direction for our lives. Maybe this means we'll record what God's saying to us in a journal or a diary. Maybe we'll take time to speak about such times with a church or youth group leader, with a trusted, mature Christian friend. Doesn't mean that church leaders are not necessarily trusted Christian friends as well, you understand, but you get the point. There's a double benefit of talking with church leaders or other trusted friends who know us and who share our faith journey. They can pray for us and they can also seek God's guidance about whether or not we're hearing correctly. Sorry, there's a little money spider there dangling in my line of sight. And they can go away, they can pray, they can then confirm or not whether they believe God is speaking to us as we think whether God's making promises to us, which are specifically for us, whether God is directing us in the way that we suspect he may be. And then there's one more thing that Abraham did. And we read about it in verse 8. No need to put it up. He, Abraham, called upon the name of the Lord. He prayed. Certainly, I believe I should have marked the words that my church leader had spoken to me all those years ago. Calling upon the name of the Lord is exactly what I did not do to my great shame 45 years ago. Do I regret my lack of response to the words spoken to me? Of course I do. Am I downcast that I may have impeded God's purposes in my life. Well, as Ruth has already reminded us this morning, Romans 8 verse 1 tells me quite clearly that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if this morning I'm saying things and you're thinking, yeah, God spoke to me those years ago and I'm feeling pretty rotten because 
I didn't act on that. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How can I be downcast when my Saviour has forgiven me? He's forgiven me for sins that I remember. He's forgiven me for sins I've forgotten. He's forgiven me for sins that I didn't know I'd done. It's with some um, hesitation that as well as quoting the writer to the Romans, I'm going to quote Winston Churchill as well, who famously said, success, I'm not going to try the Churchillian tone, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue that counts. Would I respond differently should I think that God might be speaking directly to me again? Well, I'm glad to be able to say that on a number of occasions, I have spoken out, I have told others what I believe God had been speaking to me. And the outcome has been very different, very positive. I'm just going to share, I think I've just about time, yes, I've just about time to share one little story. And I'm not saying this to boast or so that you think any more highly of me If you do think abnormally highly of me, then please tell me, and I won't share the positives, but I've shared a negative. And God took that young 17, 18-year-old who did nothing with what God may have been speaking to me, and I'm here standing preaching now. But some years ago, I was at a Catch the Fire conference Uh, where John Arnott and various others, Mark DuPont and others were speaking, uh, probably, I don't know, it must be about 25 years ago in Telford. And we were having a great time. We had heard, believe it or not, an angelic choir in the building one evening. But one, one evening... I went for prayer and they had this prayer tunnel. Never seen a prayer tunnel here. I've, seen, I've been in prayer tunnels a few times. And I went through this prayer tunnel knowing what to expect. And I got through this prayer tunnel. If you're not sure what a prayer tunnel is, it's a, just the prayer warriors were standing, arms raised, like in a tunnel formation. You just wander through. Boy, <laughs> I got to the end of this prayer tunnel. I collapsed in a heap on the floor. And clear as I'm hearing myself now, I heard a voice saying, speak the words I give you. I thought, okay, God, I think I know what that means. You want to use my mouth in prophecy. But, but Lord, what happens if the people in the church don't accept these words? Speak the words I give you. 
But Lord, what happens if the elders and the the pastor don't accept the words? Speak the words I give you. And I repeated that to a number of friends. And I used it to explain why this nervous, shy, I'm not sure, inappropriate man of whatever age I was then, was coming to the front with prophetic words. Speak the words I give you. I acted on that. I did not act on what God told me, what God may have said to me 45 years ago. The difference? I am no evangelist. God still has time to do what he wants with me. And although I don't speak prophetically from the front here very often, over the last 25 years or so, it's been my oftentimes trembling privilege to be used by God to speak prophetically to people. So I don't say this, as I must repeat, I don't tell you that so that you think highly of me, but simply as an example. If you failed God in the past, that will not stop God from using you now and in the future. Whatever has gone before is not what's going to come again. God does not think badly of you for what's happened in the past. God loves you. God loves me. He sees in you and me whatever potential he chooses to put within us. So don't look back and think, I failed God there. I didn't share with anyone what I thought God was saying to me. I've stopped God from using me. Don't look forward and think, oh, maybe God's going to do with me what he did with Chris. God will do something with you different from what he's done for me. All he's looking for are ears and hearts that are open. And our response, although different from the response of Abraham, which was to build altars, our response, if we ever think that God is bringing any direction in our lives, it might be God telling you directly or through somebody else that he's going to make you an evangelist or he's going to give you a prophetic ministry, or he's going to do this great thing or that. It might be that God's saying to you, I want you to change job. It might be as happened to a friend recently. She and her husband share a house with her mother. Her mother's just gone into a nursing home for the rest of her life. And there was some pressure on the couple I know to sell the house because part of the ownership of that house um, theoretically lies with her brother and he was putting pressure for her to put the house up for sale. And they were looking at houses and she was getting anxious about this and she believed God was saying to her, stop looking for another house. She told her husband when he came home from work, 
He said, that's fine, we'll stop looking for another house. If that's what God's saying, we'll stop looking for another house. A few days later, they had contact from the solicitor. Your mother doesn't own any of this house. The two owners of the house are you and your husband. There was no pressure on them to sell the house. Nobody could make them sell the house. She'd listened to what God said. She told her husband... And then they got the confirmation. Time prevents us from looking at the rest of the passage, which describes an incident in Abraham's life when out of fear, perhaps, he pretends that his wife is his sister. His fear was maybe born out of a momentary lapse of faith. Whatever his reasons, God still fulfilled the promise that he'd already made to Abraham. And indeed, in Hebrews 11, verse 8, we read, By faith, I love that phrase, by faith. There are two phrases I love. One is, but God. I've done this, look at that, but God. And things can't go well because, but God. Yeah, but, but God, but God, and by faith. By faith, my friend did not have to sell the house. And then she got the confirmation. By faith, we read, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Abraham is remembered for his faith rather than for any lapse. Maybe, from this day onwards, I will be remembered as the bloke who didn't respond to the call of God on his life. I don't know. You can read through the verses 10 to 20 in your own time and ask God, what he would have you take from it. May God himself bless these words that we've read together and the words of my lips for his praise and glory. Amen. Now, before, I don't know if we're going to have another song, if it's time for another song or not. Kambalani, have we got, yeah, okay. But before the song, um, there's just one last thing I want to say. When we finished, um, If any of my words this morning have reminded you of any time when you think you've let God down, perhaps by a lack of response to anything he might have been saying to you, perhaps because of a lack of faith, please don't struggle alone. God's forgiven, but we often sometimes struggle, don't we? And we hold on to these memories So I invite you to come forward. Kambalani will be here to pray with you and perhaps one or two other people. So if you think you've let God down and that's really nagging away at you, do come forward for prayer. Prayer changes things. If, on the other hand, you think God has been speaking to you recently about direction in your life, whether it be very, very spiritual or whether it be very, very practical, change job, don't move house, whatever it happens to be, and you haven't shared that with anyone, then again, please come forward. Everything's dealt with confidentially and you can receive a prayer covering, the sort of prayer covering that all those years I did not do, neither did I build an altar. Amen.